Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got Chris Palomares and, of course, James Lincoln. Is this the person to whom I'm speaking? It is the person uh, to whom you were speaking, yes. Excellent. All right. Did you go out and buy your own drinks? No, I'm waiting for you to bring mine. Bring oh, oh, okay. I, I, I figured you'd just, like, you know, serve them through the phone. Well, no, serve, serve them through the phone line. Oh. You know, modern technology. I mean, come on. Uh, Bluetooth drink serving, yes. Yes. Look at that. Yeah. We'll look into that. Wow. How do you like me now? <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, golly, this is so good. Well, well, well. Hey, what I thought we would do is... Jim, you've been getting a lot of uh, response on the Facebook page with your track work, and now we've got the uh, the faded uh, Atlas Proto Forty Eight, mm-hmm. and then you're building a uh, what a freight station. Been working yep. on the uh, roof. So, yeah, I did that. That's done. Okay, but what I wanted to talk about with you is your track. The one photo that that you posted because you've been doing progress shots, you uh-huh. know, paint, then putting on tie plates, uh, connector bars, and then weathering and so forth. But the one shot that you've got where you've got the the rust just transitioning real nice down to the fish plates and everything is incredible. And a lot of people have been commenting on your track. So basic question, as I look at your photos, I'm seeing a big, long, multi-track, straight section. So is that going to be a switching layout or is that going, is that part of a, you know, regular railroad, model railroad? I suppose you could say yes to both. Okay. It's, it's, it's a copy. It's sort of a copy of Jim Cantor's uh, portable Proto 48 layout. Oh, okay. The, the only difference is that um, when I was going to lay it out, as um, I used Templot to lay out the where all the frogs and the, the rails and everything go. And as I was doing it, it just looked a little boring. Okay. So I curved it. Okay. Um, to, you know, I curved it using Templot, and then I... Uh, and then I laid that out. So that's it. That's one section. The original layout is eight by sixteen. Okay. So in a lot of ways, you could call it an O scale four by eight. It's just double <laughs> yeah, the size. Okay. It's it's yeah. double the size. I mean, it's a You know, it's what everybody else. Oh, you know, throw a four by eight sheet of plywood, and you know, the the um, radiuses are uh, thirty six inches and forty inches. Uh, on his railroad, mine I'm guessing are going to be bigger because okay. I'm the space I have is nominally it's about eleven feet wide, so I can get away with larger radius curves slightly, you know, like five foot radius curves. Um, so that's probably what I'm going to do, but the, it's going to be sectional. Okay. And and it, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it's it's but. It's, there's going to be sections that can be switched. 
and then you'll also be able to run a train continuously. Okay. Um, that's the that's the theory behind it. I want to put in a couple of staging yards, and then what I'm working on as we speak is something that will go, I think, into uh, it's going to be um, a little extension where there's going to be another industry. So, and that's not technically what I'm working on, but I had to figure out where I'm going to put what I'm working on. So, okay, I'm work. I'm working. I purchased a Timberline 81 foot uh, pile trestle kit. Okay. So that's what I'm. I'm working on building the deck right now. I saw a comment on one of the forums where uh, they were talking about smaller railroads. In -hmm. this case, HO. And certainly what I have here is is small at only 13 by 14. Mm -hmm. The concept of doing a one-town railroad. Yep. So you've got X number of feet of small town like Jackson, Mississippi or something where trains come through uh, Redland, Vermont, and then the rest of it just quickly transitions into rural and then back around. But you just end up detailing the Dickens out of, especially the town area, which is what I've been doing. Is that, did you have something like that in mind? Yes. Okay. Um, I think it's excellent. This is a fictitious, I, Believe it or not, um, I was I wanted to do this. I have been wanting to do, do this ever since I saw Jim Cantor's layout, but I couldn't really. Um, I had been wanting to build this layout for quite some time, but I didn't realize what I was going to be doing with it. I couldn't think of a prototype to do. Okay. And um, but and last year at Springfield. Uh, my brother and I saw my brother is a three railer, so he's Lionel all the way. Okay. Um, and he lives vicariously through me and I live vicariously through him. So, um, you know, whereas I'm much more prototype focused and much more of a modeler, he just plays with trains. And so, (laughs) and so the whole, I'm building that I bought this bridge because I kind of sort of wanted it. I looked at him and I said, don't tell me what you think, what I think, you know, don't tell me that it's my money and I can do what I want, blah, blah, blah. Tell me what you feel. Should I buy the bridge and build it? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> he says, oh, yeah, if you put that bridge with your track on it, it's going to look awesome. Like, okay, fine. Good enough for me. So as long as I have some place to put it. But what happened? Okay. So last year we found this um, uh, O-scale very nicely done. O scale model of Walt Disney's model railroad. So right. the one he had before the parks, the Carrollwood Pacific. Yeah, you've talked. You've based a couple of your locomotives on on that, right? Yes. Well, a couple of yes. your switchers. I only have one. So, um, and I just came to the conclusion that that's what I'm going to do. I am going to do the Carrollwood Pacific as if it were a real railroad. In somewhere in California. So 
it's you know i kind of want to base the town there's going to be a town area and that's kind of going to be based upon a town in california and uh, but it's going to be you know a modern railroad and the, so the southern pacific will come in with that's the reason for that diesel the southern pacific will come in interchange drop cars off for the carrollwood pacific and the carrollwood pacific will do the switching okay uh, and I think I found a town. I uh, looked on was looking on somebody's blog that t- I found a. He he was driving through with his wife this town in California, and he took a bunch of pictures of it. And I I think I want to take a closer look at that to kind of loosely base the town on that. But but it's it's a lot that you know it's it's a loop of track, and there's going to be a small town with that you go through, and then. That's going to be one section of the modules. And then this thing, which is the interlocking. And then there's going to be rural sections. So, yes, sort of like that. Okay. There's a, on the forums, uh, under the general discussion there at Model Railroad Hobbyists, there's a, a thread going watchers versus operators. Mm-hmm. And it's got like over 50 responses and some of them are getting into that, you know, real model railroaders operate and uh, so they're starting to get this back and forth uh, mm-hmm. personal preference prevailing there. Uh, it's like you just mentioned, it's what you enjoy uh, and you can incorporate a little of of both into it. Chris and I were were at the uh, train show in Charlotte. Charlotte, yes. And what was interesting, besides, you know, Chris and Atherin were there, and NCE, Scale Trains, Walthers, a couple other people, big uh, manufacturers were there. But the thing that knocked my socks off was the... uh, the modular clubs that were there. And mm-hmm. so uh, Ken Anderson, I went over to meet him. They call his group the Sipping and Switching Society of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And Chris, what would you say that that had to be, what, 80 by 80 at that show? It was gigantic. Yeah. I have yeah. never yeah. seen that much. I I chuckled, not deriding it, but I just went. I've never seen this big of a of a layout. I think he told me it took forty minutes for a train running at prototype speeds to make one circuit. Nice. And of course, not all of it is scenic. Mm-hmm. Ken's modules are a. Uh, set up for switching ops and they're detailed and there's somebody did a huge passenger station on one of the big back stretches but interesting i'm going to try and get ken uh on the line for a show because their approach to modular railroading and stuff is is different from what i've heard but it goes back to what we were talking about jim yeah you don't have to be huge to have a lot of fun at model railroading. Well, right. And 
this railroad, I mean, with, and I keep coming back to, you know, it's essentially a four by eight because it's just you a photo 48. Well, no, it's four by eight, no scale. Yes. Really. And you can't do it for them. You can't really do much in an actual four by oh, eight. Oh, I know. In, I, in no scale. I so that, that, that's what I mean. I mean, it's like, well, no, it's eight by seven. Oh, come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, yes. it's like the, the, the quote unquote four by eight layout is the thing that everybody does at least once in their life. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's a loop of track with a couple of switches on it. Well, this, I mean, the thing I always, I really liked about when I just sat and stared at Jim Cantor's layout is you could run a train constantly and on the inner loop, you can switch cars totally unencumbered by the train that's running constantly. Okay, good. And then, and then there's another track that's much straighter so that, you know, if you have a big boy that you wanted to run, you can run it back and forth. Okay. That was the whole, that was the whole point is so that you can, you know, if you have big honking, huge equipment, that's not going to go around those curves, you can still run it. And so what I thought I would do is I'd have a, uh, I'd set up a station platform so that um, at random have an RDC come in, make a station stop there, have a platform right there, and then have it proceed off layout. So just have, a, you know, the RDC come and go. Sure. On, you know, on occasion. And I have a Proto 48 RDC. So, um, it, it, you know, so I had the, okay, a little bit of passenger service that would work, you know, and then you have, you can have your operations and there's something about just running a train in circles. That's cathartic. You know, it, it, it's very, it's, it's very, it's very relaxing to just turn a train up to, to, okay. It's not realistic. I don't care. Uh, you turn a train on and let it run in circles. There's just, it's just, it's very relaxing. Whereas operation doesn't have a tendency to be relaxing. Um, but one of my favorite things to do at CSX was uh, the B723, which was, I think it was the 723. And all it was is you took a bunch of corn syrup tank cars out to Westboro. Yeah. And you switched them. And then you came back. All you did really was one industry. That was the whole point of that train, really. Yeah. Sometimes it had a little bit extra work to do. But the whole point was you go out, you switch that one industry, and then you go back. And all it was was a bunch of black tank cars. But it's more complicated than that because, as I wrote in my, my article in the 2012 Model Railroad Planning, is you have different grades of corn syrup. So sometimes it was an easy, you know – pull in place other yeah. times like oh you know the second car needs to go back where it was because okay. the pipes the pipes are full of a particular grade of corn syrup and so yes. you have to put that car back or you have to put a, a car with the same grade back in that spot Understand. so <clears throat> you couldn't whereas the, some some of the other stuff the 5500 you could just put that anywhere um the 5500 was the stuff that goes into soda so, and a, a 19,000 gallon tank car of corn syrup is 2.1 million cans of soda. <laughs> and learn something every day. And we, at, and we pulled at least six a day out of that one plant. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Uh huh. So, 
Well, um, so by then they were empties, right, Jim? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, you're either putting in six and you're either putting in six or taking out, you know, you're putting whatever it was, but there was, there was five or six, five or six of those, um, the, the, um, soda, soda grade tanks going in and out a day. So generally, I mean, there was never really more than that. And then the, you had other stuff that was for ice cream and other stuff that was for cakes and, you know, Okay. Well, I want to get, I want to go back because this, I jotted this down on my notes. All right. So we've got your notes. notes there. Notes. We have notes. We have what? notes. What, we what have is notes. this? This is what far is too organized for this podcast. <laughs> what, is, what is this sorcery? All right. Let me speak. roll them up here and throw them away. That's right. Okay. Go back to the I track. Had, you, you had some ideas. Yes. Ideas, right. concepts. And you jotted there. them down. I jotted them down. Yes, that, that um, gives the, that gives the idea of like a, a, research, a napkin, research Na, a napkin, and, uh, a napkin that you you scribbled on with ketchup. Yeah, it's, at a business that's, meeting. Yes, uh, that's much that's much more our speed. All right, take Sorry. us through it because you've done such a good job at it. What I want to know is how once you got your track down, so we've got bear track down there. Mm-hmm. Walk through the weathering and what you use to get the results that we see in that photo. People ask me that question. If you realize that's so simple, it defies comprehension. But um, really, the, I mean, one of the big things is you have to um, don't do it the way I'm doing it. <laughs> um, I laid the track down because I wanted to get it down. And yeah. The best way to do it is to, um, the best way to do it is to weather the ties before you put the rails down. And when I say weather the ties, I mean paint them. Uh, you want to you want to distress the distress and paint the ties. Well, no, okay, let me rephrase that. You want to distress the ties before you put the rail down. That's all. It's just it's it's far easier. You can do it. Once the rails are down, but what will end up happening is if you really want the ties to look distressed, it's very difficult to do it once the rail is in place. Um, it the, the ties just look newer. It's not a big deal. It's just the ties will look newer. Um, the important thing, there's a couple of important things, is always put use an exacto knife and put a crack uh, and totally at random in every single tie. Uh, not, um, even if you don't plan on distressing them. So if you're not going to use a wire brush on the ties, put a cut in them anyway, because if you go and you have the opportunity to look at a pile of brand new ties that they're going to lay out, Mm -hmm. every, every single one has a crack. Everyone. Um, that on the end or on what will be the center or is it um, random? No, it's totally random. It's, you know, and it goes with the grain on the top of the tie. So the, what you're looking sure. at as you're walking, if you're walking on the ties where you're not supposed to, if you're mm-hmm. walking there and you're looking down at the ties, every single tie has a crack. And I'm not talking about the grain. <clears throat> when the, uh, excuse me, this, um, the more I talk, the more I'm going to have a cough. So I apologize. Do you have, do you have water? Uh, that's not going to make any difference. Okay. Um, I tried taking something to help 
but it doesn't make a bunch of a difference. Um, okay. It's been going on since like January 8th. It's kind of a bummer. Anyway, okay. so um, with, with brandy new ties in a pile that they're going to lay out, you won't have grain in them, but you'll still have cracks. As the ties weather, you'll see more and more of the grain. So uh, you put it, you, you just randomly put in cuts uh, in the ties. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to cut the whole thing. You don't want to do that. But you want to put random cuts in every single tie. And then, um, the, you know, the little brass, I prefer the stainless steel br- wire brushes you buy at Home Depot. Yes. And then, and then just go um, on every single tie and scrape them up. I like that better than, you, you know, a lot of people use a razor saw. That's way too uniform. Okay. It's also too um, aggressive. Okay. It, it's kind of like putting – you know, an HO scale structure and distressing the, the wood siding. Uh, the, you know, when you do that, it, 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 it has a nice look, but realistically at the distances that we look at HO scale structures, you would never, ever see <laughs> that distressing. The amount of distressing that, and I'm not saying it doesn't look great. And I'm not saying that I don't do it. I'm just saying is, you know, when you over distress something, it will just look more, it, doesn't mean it doesn't look cool. It just means it'll look more realistic when you do it right. So if you use a razor saw, it's just a little aggressive, in my opinion. Uh, and it's just better to use a, um, a wire brush. And then if you really want to destroy the ties, you use a welding brush. But you will really quickly destroy the ties with a welding brush. <laughs> so if you're doing like – if you've seen the photos – of that abandoned right of way that I have, those were distressed with a, with a welding brush and, you know, multiple cuts and all that and stuff. But anyway, and then, um, <clears throat> really you just paint it, um, completely with, uh, the Rust-Oleum camouflage brown paint. Okay. And that paint has a tendency to run down the the uh, web of the rail, so you have to hit it a few times. It's not something <clears throat> if you just hit it real quick, it, it you'll end up seeing shiny bits of the rail, and that doesn't really look realistic. So um, you do have to cover it. You you really have to paint the track quite well, so that it looks really wet, and you really think you put too much paint on. That's okay. And then walk away and let it dry for a day or two. Um, don't get excited and do my next thing uh, because you will screw it up. So how do I know this? Because I've been excited and wanted to go to the next step too quickly. And the nice thing about um, doing track the way I've been doing it, which is in very small bits right before I go to work. So I'll take like five or ten minutes. I'll come down and I'll do something. Yeah. Is – you know, I can spray paint the track and then I have to go to work for eight hours. So it's going to dry. <laughs> if I feel like coming home and doing something, it's going to be dry by the time I get home. Because it doesn't take that long, but it takes long longer than 15 minutes. And the next thing that I do is now you can either dry brush with a um, kind of a, a tan, a very light tan. I think I'm using suede or something like that. That works. 
but by my preferred method method is a white pastel pencil. And you just rub that on the tie. Okay. What's very, you just, you know, write, basically write on the tie, all over the tie. And then the important thing is you need to use your fingers and you need to use your thumb to spread it out because that will take up some of the pastel. And if you try to use a brush, it won't work, believe it or not. I've tried using brushes and maybe I wasn't using a stiff enough bristle brush, but your finger, your thumb works better. Um, and then you just rub that in. And what will happen is a lot of the color will go away, but, um, then you can just build up more if you want to. So you, you can, you can kind of gradate whether you really want a weathered, um, the tie that's been out for a long time, as opposed to, um, a fairly recently laid tie. Um, and my contention to a lot of people that they use multiple colors when they're painting and weathering their track yeah, is, is that if you take a, if you go to a main line, now I'm doing a main line, not a siding. So sidings around industries and stuff like that, those can be different colors because stuff is spilled on it. But as a general rule, <clears throat> if you go and uh, if you go to a main line and look at those ties, they're all the same color. They're not, it doesn't, it's, it's a variation of brown and white or something in between. It isn't yellow. It's not red. It's dark brown to white. That's why, I, that's why I prefer, you know, don't paint your track gray and then stain it. Paint it a good tie color just first. Just paint the ties brown. The, the, the camo brown is the perfect tie color um, for, the, for the rail and, and everything. Um, so what I'm talking about is now once the, once the rails are laid with the tie plates, I'm, if I probably didn't say that at this point, but rails, tie plates, all that other stuff, you put that down and then you pay it with, spray it with camo brown, let it dry. You start doing the ties with the uh, pastel pencil. And then, um, I am very slow about putting in my ballast and I, with O scale, this works. Um, it, uh, I, I tamp it. I mean, I literally, I'm tamping the ballast to get it in. So it looks right. Um, and I'm using highball real stone ballast. I I've used Woodland Scenics ballast and I like that too. I kind of like the high Woodland Scenics cause it's much more uniform in, um, uh, size. And in a lot of ways for a main line, that's good. You kind of want as the, as the track gets more off the beaten track, shall we say, um, then variation of the size of the ballast is fine, but not that I mind. I mean, it's okay. It is what it is, but I have no problem with woodland scenes ballast. And, um, you, um, I use a future floor wax to, to hold the ballast in place and it works in O. Okay. Yes. It works in O scale. I've tried it in HO and it really doesn't work in HO. And the reason I think that is the nice thing about future floor wax is you don't need to pre-wet it for it to flow through everything. Yeah. You don't need to hit it with the water, the, you know, the wet water or a sapropoalco. You can, but you don't need to, you can just flow it through the ballast and it'll go everywhere. And, um, future sticks very well to itself. 
if that makes any sense. So the more you put in, the better it sticks. That's why when you do it in HO, it doesn't have enough future in there for it to really stick everything together. Okay. If, if that makes any sense. In O scale, you have to put so much future in that it sticks very well to itself and it works very good as, a, and a, as an adhesive. Um, it doesn't and, – and people always ask, well, doesn't it give it a sheen? Doesn't it make it glossy? No. It doesn't until you start – you know, once you put in a coat and it's dry and everything's held in place, if you start putting more in there, then yes, you'll start getting a gloss to it. So if you want something to look wet, you just put more in and then it'll look wetter. But <clears throat> the first time you do it, it looks dry. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have a sheen to it. Okay. So All right. And you've shown pictures on your, your post of where you put the pencil on and then mm -hmm. what it looks like after you've rubbed it with your fingers and stuff. What are you using for the rust? The rust is uh, uh, various colors of, um, I think, Bragdon um, powders. And I, I'm just dry pigment powders, and I'm just kind of smearing that on the side of the rails. Uh, there's certain colors and you know if I went downstairs I could tell you what the colors were but I pick uh, there's two different colors that I use for the rail sides and then at the um, at the joint bars I use a more reddish rust uh, and then the important thing is to make sure you get it on the ballast <laughs> You just want to you just want to spread it right on. You want to get it on the ballast because if you look at real track, the rust isn't just on the ties and the tie plates, and the, it's it's actually on the ballast too. Yeah, it migrates. So, migrates yeah. off on. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So basically, it's it's a very it's a very simple process. It's just time consuming. You have to be. I I mean, literally, I'm just slathering it on there. I'm not not paying a lot of attention every once in a while I may, but it, there's not a lot of attention paid to what I'm doing. It's just like slather it on. Okay. Really? I mean, it's it, people, uh, people think it's so complicated. It really isn't. Well, the, the net result is, is just, is awesome. Is it awesome. is. Yes. It I, is awesome. I, a couple of those pictures, there's one of the things I, I actually used, uh, future floor wax. And I, there's a soot color of powder that I've got, and I spread future along the top of a tie and in the ballast. And while it was wet, I, you know, I just blobbed. I put put the powder in it. And if you've ever seen a tie like around where a greaser is, that layer that layer of grease that you get on a tie, perfect, perfect. It nailed it perfectly. I was like, wow, that's. I mean, it's this little thing that's about a half an inch, but it's perfect. But you got to get your face right up into it to realize that that's like an accurate representation of a grease spot. But, you know, small things make me happy. Um, but, you know, the photographs, I can look, I can look at it and I, and I can say I can see where the error is in that. Most people wouldn't. And I'm, I'm hesitant to necessarily point it out. Every once in a while, I will, and I, I'll. The, the, I look at it. And I'm like, yeah, I can see the error, 
the one thing that points and says, yep, it's not real. Because other than that, it looks pretty real. That There's one of that photo, I think the one looking at it side on. Yeah. At the, at the joint bar. And somebody who's, who was a track gang, he was a meter, member of a track gang. And he says, you nailed it. It looks real. I, you know, if you can get rid of the background, it's, it's very hard to tell. Um, you know, I walk around track every day and I'm like, wow, that's, and I know I'm pat, patting my own back, but I thought I did, um, very pleased with that, um, effect. Okay. Um, we should be. It's excellent. It's thank you. Just. Thank you. People say, oh, I would never want to do that on a big railroad. Well, this is only a four by eight railroad. So, and I do little bits of it, little bits at a time. So it's not. You know, you do a section. I mean, literally, I'm doing sections that are about three inches long. You know, I do I, I do very small bits, and it takes a long time to do it. Well, like you said, really, what, five minutes at a stretch just before you go to work? Well, no, sometimes I'll spend half an hour to an hour. You know, oh, I'll get home okay. from work. I get home from work, and now I'm, you know, as I'm putting in the ballast, like I said, I'm tamping it under the, I'm tamping it so it goes underneath the rails right and it fits in and it's the right level. There's also just, you know, it's just time consuming. If you're, you know, if you want to do that, it's not like just spreading a bunch of ballast on a bunch of HO scale track and, you know, sp- you know, spreading out with a, with a, with a, um, you know, I've tried that, you know, I spread out a bunch of ballast and I try to, you know, I spread it out with, with a, with a paintbrush. And it doesn't look right. <laughs> so, okay. to say, I, I have to go back in and I, you, you know, I'm very meticulous about cleaning off all the, every once in a while, you do want to leave a couple of grains of rock on top of the, the ties. You do want to leave a couple here and there. Okay. But not, the big thing is you got to get it out from underneath, like right up against the side of the, the, the rails. That doesn't look realistic. Um, cause that doesn't happen. Palace doesn't. Anti-gravity rocks. That's what it is. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you I mean a couple of, you know, a couple of rocks on a tie. That's fine. That that's perfectly realistic. But the tie, you know, the, the rocks that are like up on the side of the, the web of the rail, which always happens, you know, doesn't matter how many times, you, you know, you, it seems like no matter what you do in HO scale, when you're trying to ballast, you're going to get rocks on the, on the web of the rail. You're going to get ballast on the web of the rail. It, it drives people crazy. Um, it's because of the way you do it. You're trying to get a lot done. You're trying to get a lot done quickly. And thus, when you flow the, um, the white glue in, it'll have a tendency to pick, pick pieces of ballast up and stick it to the side of the rail. So you have to go back and get yes. it out. Um, so in a lot of ways, I would rather take my time to do it slowly to begin with because getting the rocks off the web of the rail drives me nuts. Um, I would much rather do it slowly and not have to do that afterwards than try to try to lay it out real quick and go back and fix it. But I'm not saying that the way you do it in what the way most people do it in HO is wrong. I'm just saying that's the good thing about it. O scale is that you can control it a little bit better. That's okay. All. It's just different. It's, you know, I've had some people ask me and I'm working on a series of articles that I and Joe is very interested um, 
on how I lay track. So for MRH, I'm going to do it for MRH because uh, I have other people want me to do it in an O scale specific magazine, but I don't think that'll hit as wide enough of an audience as I believe should be, you know, in my opinion, it's just more people should, I'd rather have more people see it. And then maybe more people will be enticed to come to O scale. If you, you know, see, this is what you can do in O scale if you want to do it. Um, but anyway, all right. Did that, did that answer your question? Cause I kind of rambled. I apologize. I apologize. No, no, but. That's, I wanted to make sure we covered it. But no, it's it's a very simple process. People like the whole white pastel pencil thing. I mean, literally, it's you know. Oh, the other thing that I would you know, I did have one thought that was a little disjuncted. But it don't don't you know if you think your ties are going to be gray, don't paint it gray and then go then stain it brown. You don't do that because it's much better to just paint it like it's new. Paint it so that it as if it was freshly laid and then weather it from there because then you can weather it in small batches and it looks okay whereas if you go the other direction it just looks gross until you're finished so if you paint it so it all looks new and then get around to weathering it it'll always look okay you know it's like well you know when i get around to it i'll finish weathering it it's not something that may stick in the back of your head saying, oh, man, I, I man, I wish I would finish that because it looks awful. Yeah. You know, paint it look, you know, well, you know, and then when somebody, well, aren't you going to weather that? It's freshly laid track. What do you want? <laughs> you know, and it looks okay. And it's like, I'll get around to it because we all know we have, you know, I, I keep posting that meme, which is, you know, the most interesting man in the world saying, I don't always get motivated, but when I do, I start 50, diff 50 different projects and leave them all 40% completed. <laughs> you know, we all do that. We all have I – mean, right now, I'm working on a bridge. I've got a – I bought one of the new Lionel 65-foot uh, mill gondolas. I bought one of those. I got the trucks and the couplers off of that. Um, I've got the station over on the other wall. And I'm working on the GP60, like, all at the same time. And I have the track downstairs. So we all do it. So might as well. You know. Well, I've got two more things I want to talk to you about. But go get something we can, to drink and rest your voice. All uh, right. Chris, what do you mm -hmm. think? Uh, what was your impression of? Charlottesville and then the show you did today, the attendance and stuff, well attended? You know, um, it's kind of a little bit harder to gauge Charlottesville. Um, just by nature, we we spread out the booth a little bit. There was a kind of a, an opportunity for that over in, over there. The, what happened was, I, I think uh, they, they kind of switched us around with someone else. Okay, and it worked out, you know, for the better having having a little extra room. The way that Monroeville, that was the show before that, uh, worked out there. There was just it was like twenty two thousand people that that weekend. Now that, that was that was a lot, and the booth just started feeling a little smaller and smaller <laughs> when, when 
<laughs> to the point where you just kind of get popped out of the space and just sort of just like, okay, have at it, guys. You know? Well, um, the times I was by your booth at, uh, at Charlottesville, it was, you know, there were a lot of people in there and it wasn't like you could just, you know, stretch out or, you know, bounce around. You had to, there were people there, which is a good, yeah, good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I think everybody that, that came through the booth, I, uh, it, it was great just because they, they were so enthusiastic about, you know, having us there in their city, which just doesn't happen every year. It doesn't even happen every five years, you know? So uh, there was a few people there remarking, well, gosh, I can't even remember when the manufacturers were, were in our town. So I, it was good to have that connection with our, our, our customers and then just, you know, model railroad enthusiasts, period. Um, they, they, there was just a lot of appreciation and a lot of excitement about it. And then that was infectious. That was really cool. So, uh, I was uh, impressed. Uh, on the, on the way out of town, I ended up driving through the interstate goes right through the heart of town. And it had been probably 10 or 12 years since I had been through there on business. And I was just mm -hmm. blown away at the construction ongoing downtown, very modern skyscrapers and what had transpired since the last time I was there. It's no longer a sleepy little Southern town. This baby has exploded. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it was a big city, um, but it, it it was a nice city. Uh, yeah, uh, I I've never really been. I've never really been there before. Um, it, it was just cool to kind of get to know the city as well as the people there, and you just participate in a, a pretty cool. Um, world's greatest hobby so well as i went through the lot i was impressed by how many out-of-state license plates i saw yeah. yeah there was definitely a draw from uh south carolina and a few states around there too so oh i saw west virginia virginia north carolina tennessee uh georgia i was I told my wife, I said, I can't believe, you know, of course, my car has got Louisiana on it. And I went, wow, <laughs> people really drove. And the parking lot was full. Yes. They were starting to have a challenge of where do I keep putting cars? And that was yeah. a big parking yeah, lot. Yeah. I mean, hats off to, to Train Show Incorporated. That's Randy Bachman's uh, uh, venture and putting this together and, and the way he's been approaching it, I think has worked out with, uh, you know, getting his message out because we see the results. You see a lot of people come through the world's greatest hobby shows as they kind of like go from city to city, um, for the past couple of years. Uh, I, I guess, uh, the second part of your question on how it compares to Houston and Houston's was, I, I suppose we weren't really sure how Houston would go. There's been a, a lot of our listeners out there probably 
recall that Houston had some major flooding that oh, yeah. uh, really in the summer. And so yes. <clears throat> in the summer, and it, it doesn't seem to have impacted or um, maybe held back any sort of enthusiasm for the show. It was a very well attended first day. For Saturday, we everybody there was pretty impressed. Um, I know for a fact that uh, it, we're we're kind of seeing. Well, is there a line building up? Is there what, what, what's going on over here? And then, and then all of a sudden the 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 doors open and just a huge flood of people came through that door and we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know. And there again, we get squeezed out of the bathroom booth again. So, you know, you hear the popping sound, and they, <laughs> 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 that's just being squeezed out of the booth. But uh, I, I, I think for all the manufacturers that that were there, I, I think everybody was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, not that we were expecting it to be bad, but you know, we we certainly had a level of expectation for you know how it would go and it, it definitely exceeded them so it's been, it's been great so far all right uh and there's 17 layouts in houston that's the other part of it that i forgot to mention so okay. yeah that uh everything at uh charlottesville because as a kid we had the little before we graduated into lionel we had the little wooden track wooden trains that the wheels rolled in grooves and right they had a large one of those at uh charlottesville for the little kids and it were just it was really fun watching these little kids because some of them were like my grands one grandson's age just having such a big time and then there was a lionel uh, layout that kids got to uh, operate and stuff and that was just I like how they address you know and at the same time you know you kind of spur the interest and begin cultivating future modelers so oh yeah I yeah whatever the gentleman's name was you mentioned uh, yeah my hat's off to him on how he is staging and uh, executing his shows very good very Absolutely, good. it it's it's been you know it's been really an honor to to be part of the the world's greatest hobby circuit. It's been a lot of work and a lot of time away from you know being back home and stuff. But uh, I I think what we're doing for you know just getting getting some exposure to um, to new faces and maybe people that didn't really know where to even start hopefully getting them a little bit more clear direction and um a, a few more options and definitely some some places to consider for support um just just so that they have uh an enjoyable time and entering into the hobby and it's you know we're, well, we're we're it, it's been great to see all all the younger generation really rally around the 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 things that they like to or the thing I should say the things that really interest them. So 
Okay. Now, with all the show, where you had holidays and you got show schedule, um, are you able to spend any time on your remotorings and your uh, rebuildings? <laughs> you know, uh, I I thought I would be able to uh, for the Charlotte and then also the Monroeville um, show. So I I actually brought a project with me. I'm like, oh yeah, this will this will be just kind of fun, you know. Don't need a lot of glue or solder or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Didn't get any time to spend with it. It's just. These shows just take so much out of you standing and talking and interacting that by the end of the day, it's just like, okay, I think I'm, I, I need to recuperate a little bit. Um, a lot of people were, you know, getting sick about that time too. So I was trying uh. to just kind of stay rested as much as I possibly could um, to, you know, maintain my health. So. Well, yeah, that's good. Uh, so, because <clears throat> after I left the show in, uh, there in Charlotte, uh, I'm saying that wrong. I, I used to work with a company and we had an office in Charlottesville. And this is Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, I was saying that wrong. I was saying it wrong. But when I went over to uh, Greenville and my wife's at the medical center there. I'm going, okay, I'm only going to be here two days. Do I need to wear a mask so that you're not bringing any kind of exotic flu <laughs> germs in from the, uh, from the med center? Because uh, within the transplant group, they've had a number of people out with the, the flu and stuff on and off. So yeah, it's a nasty bug this year and the, Apparently, the typical vaccine is not addressing but a small percentage of the uh, different types. So, uh, okay, so I kind of anticipated that, you know, your occupation was going to get in the way of your uh, of your hobby on the remote rings <laughs> and stuff. So, yeah, no, no, I, it, I, I've been I've been really, really wanting to get to it. Um, and the way that train show season just sort of works out, it, it's, it being pretty much sort of like at the beginning half of the year. Uh, yeah. so I get summertime to forget that, you know, that it is what it is. So I, I get all hopeful that I can actually do some modeling on the road, but uh, I get brought back to reality on that. sometimes. <laughs> so. Well, um, and- it, you know, and it, it, the other part too was between Monroeville, Pennsylvania, and Charlotte, North Carolina, doing hobby shop visits, and then also driving to those events. It was just, it was quite a hoof. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. I love uh, road trips. I I enjoy because I take different routes and see different parts of the country. Uh, because some jobs in my career, we flew everywhere, and others, I had a company car, and I drove because of the nature of of the industry uh, that I was mm-hmm. in. But uh, even now, I love uh, road trips. My wife hates them, but, <laughs> but 
Oh, you want to go visit uh, the grandkids in Vermont? Let's drive up. It's two days worth, but you'll love it. Yeah, and she's just, you know, reaching for a knife out of the butcher block to uh, stab me with. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, no, no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. You go ahead. You go ahead. I'll fly up in two days. <laughs> I told her. I said, <laughs> I'll be there in two days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, the disappointment when I was at uh, Rutland for New Year's was I was anticipating seeing some of the Rutland Road power coming through. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they've got SD70s and stuff like that. And when we would go somewhere, I would work it out so that we went down into town and around down by the railroad tracks, but I didn't have the good fortune of catching any train action down there, uh, which is pretty good because most days it was like 9 and 10 below zero without the wind factor. So it wasn't like I needed to be outside chasing trains or shooting pictures. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, of course you did. That builds character. Yes, yes. Yes, it does. Well, I still have I don't, I don't, I don't know what kind of character, but character, it does build yeah. character. Yes. Sick and demented. Uh, <laughs> we, I still had my downfield parkas from like when you know, I lived in Michigan and places like that. But I've long since gotten rid of the insulated blue jeans or long, you know, insulated underwear to go with them. So mm-hmm. I had to keep chemical packs in my gloves and in my bean boots, because I didn't have room in my suitcase for the insulated uh, bean boots to keep my feet and stuff warm when we were out on the ski slopes and stuff. It was right. just wait a minute, freaking wait a minute. brutal wait cold. You drove, right? No, no, we flew uh, up to oh, Albany. Okay. I was, was going to say, you drove, you had plenty of space. Yeah, no, no. We no, your wife was like, your wife was like yeah, we ain't doing that. Yeah, we landed in a snowstorm at nine below, and then it, it just snowed Excellent. harder when we got into Vermont. <laughs> oh, I loved oh. it. Seriously, I am a winter person. And mm-hmm. if I would have known my wife was a beach Caribbean island person, we may have had second thoughts. Just kidding, but you know, we're, <laughs> we are polar opposites on that. So, um, mm-hmm. Of course, today here, the high was 55 in a rain all afternoon, and we had a decent breeze. So, I mean, it's daggone, daggone cold outside. I'm sorry. My blood was thin by 10 years in the Arizona desert. <laughs> so. No, I don't think so, um, because in my opinion... It's yeah. colder. It is colder in Florida when it's 30 than it is here because it's just it seems like whenever it's cold in the south, yeah. there's yeah. always this nice little wind and it's always really humid and the air just cuts right through you. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. Nothing. Um, yeah. I Yeah. I've the coldest I've ever been in my life, in my opinion, was. uh when I was in Sanford, Florida, it was 28 degrees and I was working outside and I did not, I was wearing every piece of clothing I had <clears throat> and I was just freezing. It's just, and we went to the local Walmart, Walmart to try to buy a coat and everything was sold out. Sold out. out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, tomorrow, well, tomorrow's 
Super Bowl day, but it's supposed to be 70 here. And so we invited some neighbors over and I'm going to slow cook and smoke uh, ribs out on the grill. But because it's 70, we have an outdoor TV. And so I thought, well, shoot, I'll just turn the outdoor TV on the patio and while I'm cooking and stuff. And the the couple that we invited to come over are new neighbors. He's an ex-NFL player. He spent half his career with the Detroit Lions, and he finished up with the Atlanta Falcons. He's tight end. He is enormous. <laughs> First time I met him, I almost got a catch on my neck because I had to bend my head back so far to look up and see his face. Golly, he must be 6'6", 300 pounds, and just nicest guy. So he and his wife are going to walk up and do that. And he's already been impressed by the model railroad. I said, hey, grab a beer and let me show you the train route. And my wife's going, oh, please don't do that to him. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> so Chris, we had talked about, mm -hmm. you had told me how you had re-geared trucks. Yeah. Well, be, be, before before you before you do that, um, so how did you like? Um, I was really impressed with your new digs at Springfield because I know I oh I, over in Mallory. Yeah, I had uh, given you a hard time, a little bit of a hard time about getting demoted from the uh, the cool building. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also the building, you know, it's the building where everybody goes first, and you guys had like. A half a table or something like that. You can hear that real well. Um, you guys had like, what, a table and a half. This rinky-dink little display for the last couple of years. And the display you had this year was really nice. You re Like you said, you could really spread out. It was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it was just the right building for us. And it was the, you know, having the full booth there kind of gave a presentation of our entire product line. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I, the, the other thing over at Springfield was year over year, I think N scale, we, we've had more and more customers asking about N scale. So mm -hmm. now we're actually able to show some of the new N scale products and their HO scale counterparts and really drive home the fact that we're, we're real, we're, we're really looking at supporting both, uh, both scales simultaneously when we're you know introducing new products so you know and and i as i mentioned i was really disappointed that even with the new space you weren't able to showcase your o-scale stuff I, it's just very disappointing but, oh the boxcar wasn't there well you know they just didn't have enough they didn't have enough space i understood you know i totally understood because it you know but no it was a real good place because you're right they were right near atlas um mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of manufacturers actually, of the bigger ones, uh, are in that building now. So, um, I mean, although well, you weren't it, in... Well, we, 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 it was really nice to be next to Atlas, next to Rapido, next to Woodland Scenic, yeah. River, Point, River Point Stations, because we're all pretty friendly with each other, and the fact that 
Rapido, Atlas, and Woodland Scenics are also distributed um, in the distributed right. brand section of the Horizon Hobby. So mm-hmm. there, there's kind of like a familial thing going on there. So it, it, it worked out really well. I, I thought that, you know, that location and being really close to some really cool layouts and, and the mm-hmm. big hall part. Oh yeah. Uh, they they have that really nice. Do they have two, um, Fremo layouts or is that just one? They, they had one linear Fremo layout with, uh, members kind of spread out over the, the Northeast area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had like three balloons and a junction and it, it was, it was pretty, pretty complete. <laughs> yeah. And they all, there's, yeah, there's a lot of the bigger layouts are over there. And, uh, on the note of what we, we always joke about, I had a fascinating conversation with the gentleman from Lionel and, through the course of we, I have no idea whether anything's going to happen, but uh, through the course of discussions, you know, I said, Oh, you know, I really think your stuff is great. And I've, you know, one of the models is I did this and I designed a 3d printed end and Oh yeah. What do you design? And I designed solid works. And um, through the, I says, yeah, I've, I've even done all the artwork, all the, all the 3d models for the, uh, the PS 5344. And he said, "Really? Oh, if we had all that, if we had all that done, we might we might be able to do it. I probably probably could convince the powers that be to make it." Excuse me. <laughs> I was like, "What?" And he says, "Oh yeah, I mean, if, all, if all the if all the heavy lifting was already done, that would be an easy sell." I was like, "Ah, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be till nineteen or 20, but I was like, "You're the first person that hasn't laughed at me." So who knows? I need to I need to call him because he's one of the I don't know if you talk to I forget what his name is uh, Dave something um, but um, he was the, the guy over at the Lionel booth um, not mm-hmm. someplace you not this not someplace you'd probably frequent but um, the uh, he was interested I mean at least you know he says if all the 3D models are done you know in in the in the design program that we use. It's not really a hard sell. I mean, we don't have to do any of the work. <laughs> you know, we don't have to do any of the design work. We can just use these. You know, so and considering, I don't know, I don't know if you had a did you, have you had a chance to see their sixty five foot mill gondola that they do that they just came out with by any chance? Me? Yeah. No. No, I haven't. Okay. No, it's beautiful. It really is. They did a really nice job with it. It's very, um, you know, the main body of it is extremely accurate. It's very well done. When they do scale stuff, they really do a nice job. Um, so that would be that would be cool. If the discussions work out fairly well. So that might be neat to have a couple of those things produced by someone who's going to do a really good job with them. Because a lot of their stuff they've done recently has been, you can tell that whoever is in charge wants to do it right. I mean, oh, yes, yeah. that yes, they have to make adjustments so that it, it's for the three rail market, but it's also easily convertible to Proto Forty Eight or two rail, so it's not a problem. So, ah, yeah, they put they put on pads 
actually when you when you flip the thing over and take the trucks off, they have the screw holes so you can mount uh, KDs on it. So oh, that's convenient. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 uh, it's um, they're located for the uh, the KD coupler boxes. So yeah, they are thinking about, and I believe um, they also sell two rail trucks too. So they don't just uh, they. They make two rail trucks that will fit on this gun, you know, for, for those who that who want to convert it. So not that to help that, the, that doesn't help me, but, <laughs> but that brings up a good question then. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between on a car, mm-hmm. the difference between trucks for three rail and trucks for two is it the wheel gauge. Uh, no, no. The wheel gauge is the same. The okay. um, the wheel tread is drift. The, the wheel tread is different, and normally, three rail trucks have the uh, have truck mounted couplers. Okay. So they have those Tal big. Goes. Cl- yeah, yeah. Tal goes. yeah, yeah. They have those big claw couplers. Okay. Now there are yeah. there are some three railers that will cut those off and body mount couplers. There are some that do that. The ones that do, you know, the more realistic stuff, they will do that. But the vast majority of three railer, uh, three railers don't. They just use the. I mean, the trucks actually are very good looking trucks, even with the big wheels. Lionel does a very good job with what they do. When when they slap scale, I mean, they had a beautifully. Um, it was a PS PS forty seven fifty covered hopper, and um, it had it was very nicely patched and had they had someone had one at the show i would have bought it um they didn't he had you know he only had it for display but a really great patch job i mean the problem was you know the end cages the end cages were toy-like but you know it's so the the you know atlas makes a trainman one that's the same so it's not really not really that different it's just you know it's made for a different market which is perfectly fine the paint jobs paint job was magnificent though and yeah. um you know they really do this there are things about it that people in ho would complain about you know the, the prototype models would complain about um little things though i mean it's like get over it you know but most people in in o scale are like yeah i can throw a decal on that it's not a big deal at least i have it <laughs> So a lot, a lot of people in HO nowadays are like, oh, my goodness, you didn't put you you made a phase one C of this, but they only made three of those. And what I really want is the phase two A, you know, with the rib that's in this other place instead of the three ribs like you did. I don't know what you're possibly thinking of by making that model. You don't get a lot of that in no scale. <laughs> it's like, dear God, you made another covered hopper. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Some of the some of the discussions about some of the models you guys have made, it's like, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, we could go back to the blue box ones. Um and they'd probably cost oh, wait, just but as much. There was much. no blue box on that one or anything before it, you know. <laughs> right, but no. Yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, go to the, go back to the blue box one, and it would probably cost just as much because it costs just as much to do the tooling, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, either way. Okay, so it would be 
$5 less per model because you wouldn't have all the extra applied deca- details. But anyway, right. we digress. We digress. Um, but no, was, I, I apologize for not talking to you for longer, but um, I was oh, there with my Oh, my yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to fill Paul in, uh, in on this, Jim. Uh, uh, <laughs> so over at Springfield, people would come up to pretty much me in, in groups of three. There was like one one point where I was just trying to get get some water from behind the booth. Uh, so I was kind of feeling around and three guys kind of swarm me <laughs> in the corner and I got pinned over there for a little bit chatting with them. And uh, I think it was about that time where I, I was just kind of moving away after uh, resolving that conversation and pulled into another one. And as soon as I get pulled into this other conversation, I see, I see Jim sort of like cruise right on by slowly, sort of like as a comet passes by the earth, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. like, hi, hi. <laughs> that, that, that was about the extent of being able to interact with Jim. Unfortunately, it was just, there was yeah, just you, so much going on. Yeah. You were talking to somebody and I was like talking, I was saying, Hey Chris, how you doing over one of the displays? It's like, there was something <laughs> yeah. between you were like cornered up against the display by these three people and I, and I come, and I come up to you and I come up to you and um, I come up behind you. And it's like, Hey Chris. And you looked at me like, dear God, take me away. Uh, <laughs> can I go like, with you? No, <laughs> can, can, would you rescue, would you rescue me please? Um, and I'm like, Hey man, you know, just, uh, oh, you got demoted, huh? No, no, no. Actually it's nicer over here. You can stay here and talk to me really. Um, no, no, sorry. Gotta go. Oh crap. <laughs> and off you went and, and off so. I went I mean but okay so now I understand that look okay it was kind of like would you please stay would you please stay uh, um, yeah, I, need some, yeah. I, I need some rescuing would you please stay um, it's like we need to talk about something MRH yes yeah. yes we need to talk about that yes and then uh, yeah at some point I went over and I talked to uh, Joe I was like, uh, would you like me to write some articles about Portal 48? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> I really kind of want that one about the chocolate, too. It's like, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the problem is, is, is it's, it's to a point where it may not get completed. It's, it's, it did the proof of concept, but, you know, to get it um, – it it could be an operable layout, not a problem. It's perfectly, it's one hundred percent operable. It um, I can do operating sessions on it. I could do that. Um, it's just to the point where now I'd have to be detailing it and making structures and um, the realistically the what needs to be done with the structures on that layout is um, to do you know, stitch photographs together with Photoshop or some other photo program. And I tried doing it and I was spending a lot of time trying to learn a photo editing software to, you know, do the thing a la Lance Minheim to laminate on the structures. And I just wasn't having a lot of fun because I wasn't having a lot of success. So I was like, you know what? I have other things I'd rather be doing. (laughs) So that's what I did. And I find that Proto 48 seems to scratch the model railroading itch better than Nscale does. 
Okay. Well, That's you can always of, do the O-scale version of the chocolate, can you? That would be truly large. <laughs> truly, truly well, large. Well, could you just do like a switch and maybe some track and just say, here's the O-scale chocolate right here? Yeah, yeah. Match it tie I, for tie, you know? Yeah, there you go. Um, that would be very, very large. So if the chocolate is 10 by 7 in N scale, um, I think I would, it, that would be 40. Yeah, four it, 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 Yeah, I think it'd be 40 by 30. 40 by 30 and 0. I don't think I have the space for that. Um, I'll go down... I'll go down and there you go. I'll go down and measure it. Um, but I think I think it's about eleven by twenty-one, and I don't think a forty by thirty thing will fit. And that would be a fascinating thing to try to bring to Springfield. That's about the only place you'd be able to set it up, bring it to Springfield <laughs> and, and and operate on it. Although that would be pretty cool because you could have operating cut levers and all that other cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. That nobody makes a GP forty dash two. I need a GP forty dash two. I don't have it. So nobody makes a GP forty dash two. GP forty dash two and O scale. Nope. Nope. No, I think I think Hallmark did a some brass manufacturer made a few, but that's it. Um, there's a really there's a MTH makes a GP forty, but nobody makes a forty dash two. No. Well, does someone make a GP38-2 in O-scale? Sort of. What does sort of mean? Sort of means that Weaver makes one, MTH makes... MTH makes one that sort of kind of looks like a GP30, is more like a GP38-2. And Weaver makes one that's more GP38-ish, but they call it a GP38-2, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. the, you know, the radiator fans are too far apart. And so it has deep. So the Weaver one has details of a 38 and a 38-2, but isn't really a good representation of either. Ah. Most, most people are satisfied with it. Most HO scalers would not be. Mm-hmm. The best model in O scale is probably the Red Caboose slash Atlas GP97. Those are fabulous models. No one can complain about them. The problem with those is the drive. You have the China drive, which is the two motors in the Atlas ones, uh, mm. which is a pain. Which is a pain to convert. But the uh, Red Caboose ones are are very nice if you can get them. <clears throat> They're some have said they are the best GP9s ever produced in any scale. So. Well, going back to the GP38-2, if you mm-hmm. if you can find a good GP38-2, you have mm-hmm. essentially a GP40-2 because all the hood doors are pretty much bang on between the GP38-2 and the GP40-2 with the exception of the radiator fans. Mm-hmm. So if you can find a GP38-2, you can just put on three fans and change the radiator grills a little bit and voila, you have a GP40-2. Well, mm-hmm. you need to also adjust the dynamic brake a little bit so it's turbocharged. Right. Yes. Little but, things. you know, that's little things like that. Just, yeah. you know, find the Canon and company of O-Scale and you got it. 
actually I thought of I thought of you know if I I'm actually thinking about buying a 3D printer I could do it. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, you you probably could if you design up like a good turbocharged stack for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, well, it's like the doors and stuff. Now I I'd have to go and look at all the stuff Canon did, but um, you know, look at all the doors and stuff. Those shouldn't be that hard um, to design and. I would really like what I one of the things I'd really like to do is a SW fifteen hundred shell to put onto the Atlas SW nine, because the Atlas SW nine is is the only thing that has a single engine with gear towers on the trucks. So like the mm-hmm. old carry shells in in a, in OHO, I'd like to make a um, a shell that would go on the ST uh, the Atlas frame. I think would be well received. Because MTH makes it SW1500, but I don't trust anything MTH does, so no offense. Yeah. No offense No offense to anybody out there. No offense to anybody out there. No. Just, I mean, if, you know, as far as realism goes, they are, they sometimes fly very loose with detail, so. Well, maybe a no scale, but in HO, their, their stuff is pretty fantastic on the, the awesome. bodies and shells. Yes, but in 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 O scale, they have their GP forty would be awesome, except for a couple little details that you could tell nobody actually looked at a photo. Uh huh. It, it's one of these things that you might not notice until you looked at it and be like, "Oh, <laughs> it, it's hard to this." It's hard to describe. It's, not, it's like it, it's like somebody copied and pasted something from one model to another. Oh, okay. And, and they didn't look at a photograph, but you know, uh, Lionel's gotten it right. Um, there's a thing they do around all their their grills. So not the radiator grills, but like the um, inertial air filter grill, and they it looks like angle iron. They put this this angle iron frame. Around all the grills, which is really there. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You 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 would see it as soon as I pointed it out, and you'd be like, "Oh, interesting." But they get you know, Atlas has got it gotten it right on all their locomotives and N scale, O scale, you know, everything. Everything is right. Lionel has gotten it right. Athens gotten it right. You know, everybody's gotten it right except it's like obviously whoever did the mod, the the tooling for this didn't look a fo- look at a photograph. <laughs> Didn't look at any other models. They didn't look at a photograph. They didn't look at it. They just made it. And hey, hey, Jim, mm-hmm. kind of derail your thought there for just that's a okay. Second. That's fantastic. Uh, on your on O scale, yeah. Is, what options do you have for an SD forty dash two? Um, I, I, I said that this is kind of like a thirty ways to Kevin Bacon here, but with locomotives. So I keep asking you about certain diesels if, if they're if there's availability in O scale, um, another way to a GP40-2 is through an SD40-2. Right. Um, Lionel actually makes a good one. Um, and Weaver has made SD40-2s. So uh, there are options as far as that goes. Um the you know then then you come into the frame and all that other stuff you know dealing with the frame and getting all that done right but 
Uh, yes, well, that if is Weaver an makes a GP38 ish looking thing, you could use the frame from that. Yeah, yeah the frame would probably work as far stuff as that from goes. that. Or and you then, could use the um, the frame from the Atlas GP60. Nope. Too no. Long. Really? No. GP60. GP60s are longer than GP40-2s. Oh, okay. So, I would I would suggest probably like say start with like a weaver mm-hmm. and take the the hood from an SD40-2 starting after the clean room. There's that that curved blister. If you go from the first door on the long hood of the SD40-2 all the way to the end, you can just chop that out and replace the weaver door arrangement on the GP38-ish thing. And you'll have pretty much uh, GP40-2. And that's probably way more work than I want to be doing. At this at this juncture. Said, right? said the guy designing all this stuff in <laughs> a 3D print. <laughs> it's really well, not that bad. It's 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 when you think about it. If you cut right behind the clean room, you go mm-hmm. you go vertically then horizontally. So one two cuts, and that that removes the the GP38 hood from Weaver, and you do right. the same cut on the SD40-2 cut cut along there and you put it put the SD40-2 long hood on there. Mm-hmm. I'd say you'd be pretty darn close and it probably you know, probably really except not. except my my experience in having done that in the past mm-hmm. was I'm not very good at it. But then again, that was when I was uh, fifteen. That, I'm, I, that was when I was fifteen and sixteen. So I might be much better at it now. Um, <laughs> one would hope. Um, but uh, yeah, my experience in the past, you know, I tried doing a lot of that stuff when I was younger, and it, it's like once once Atherin came out with a GP forty dash two, I was like, ha ah, in HO. Yeah. <laughs> and it, right, it right. And I was like, ha. Ah. Yeah. And uh, so, as since then, I'm like, why doesn't somebody just make a model of one of these stupid things in H in in O scale? Because it's like the most common thing on the planet. But no. yeah, yeah. There there was a lot of railroads that had GP40 twos, mm-hmm. and even more in straight GP40s. There were yeah. more. GP40s delivered than GP40-2s, but all together as a whole, between those two, mm-hmm. we're talking hundreds of these yeah. things, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these yeah. things. So. Yeah. But yeah, if you, if, you, if you looked at the Weaver GP38-2, you'd look at it and like, ah, okay. When I was looking at I'm the... I'm looking uh, it up right now. When I was looking at the, uh, the Lionel SD40-2, wow, they're gorgeous. Really are, um, apart from the pilots, but you know you're only looking at the hood anyway, so right, it's not a big problem. And I apologize for getting you off track, um, Paul. You were going to ask him some very interesting questions, I'm sure, and um, I'll I'll leave it to you. But I did want to say I am sorry I didn't get back to talk to you at Springfield, um, but my brother was, you know. 
he's he's into Lionel, and that's what he's into. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is which is which is fine. Um, which is fine. I don't. I you know. I spend time with him once a year. So. Oh yeah, sure. You know. So. Well, it's yeah. It, let's it's continue nice. on, Jim. How about your uh, the weathering on your locomotive? Yes. The mm-hmm. weathering. I mean, the pictures you've posted, uh, and uh, the use of light blue mm-hmm. is uh, ingenious on that. Now, you mentioned you were going to convert the bearing caps to roll to rotate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have, I've done how, that. Yep. Okay. And what's the quick and dirty of how you do that? Um, it was done. So when I had, when I paid Jay Crillswell and he's somebody that I want to get on the show at some point, he said he's interested if we can work it out. Um, he did the drive for me. And one of the things I wanted him to do was I want you to drill out the, the truck side frame so that I can put rotating axle caps. Okay. And so that he had made it so that I could do it. But the problem was, since I didn't give him specific instructions the reason that the reason for the pause is my one of my dogs is walking around the kitchen carrying a bone and dropping it randomly oh and okay then, and that's and i'm looking at him like what are you doing and he's like nothing <laughs> but anyway <clears throat> so he had designed it and it was all set up what uh, i was just um, I had some trepidation because I knew the uh, what he the way he had it set up this roller bearings. So he has the uh, the axles are rolling in actual roller bearings in the sides of the trucks, and I knew I had to. He had left the axle ends a little long because I didn't tell him how long to cut them, and he didn't know how big my axle caps were going to be. So okay, I needed to grind those down, and okay. I had a lot of since I had spent rather a lot of money on this drive, I didn't want to get. Sure. So, um, I, I, what I ended up doing is just putting on my man pants and, uh, figuring out how to get the truck side frames off so that those would be out of the way. And then, um, I used very wide blue painters tape and I made a, um, an apron, I, you know, I, I cut a hole in it so that it, the uh, blue painters tape would fit over the end of the axle. Okay. So that, so that it, and I totally covered everything uh, around the locomotive and the mechanism, so that none of the metal chips, the the you know shards of metal would get inside any part of the mechanism. So um, I had to do that for all the axle ends. Each one was an individual, but then I just used a Dremel tool and cut off the ends and use some of my 3D printed axle end, uh, axle caps and pop those on and they work. Okay, so on those axles, the actual bearing surface is inside the frame. So all you have to do is yes. put this superficial part on the end, have Correct. clearance around the uh, mm-hmm. the chuck side frames and it rolls. Okay. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought people oh. might be interested in knowing how you did that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was it was... <clears throat> like I said, when I had requested from Jay to have it so that it would work that way, and he had just left the axles and 
Sorry. That's my father's coffee machine. Um, that's what happens when you're standing in a kitchen. Um, I had requested that he um, make the thing up that way, and I just needed to cut off the axle ends so that everything would fit properly. Okay. Now, on the, on the locomotive itself, one of the last photos you put up, you've got the, uh, the sides and stuff uh, faded very dramatically, and it goes up to the cabin. We've got a gray nose. You just haven't got to the gray nose yet in the photos? Correct. Okay. Um, I'm using straight artist oils on this thing. So um, I'm not doing gradual fades. I'm going straight from gray to white or the white blue. So, um, and I'm stippling it on. So I mix up the paint e each batch, shall we say, which isn't very much. I do very, very small amounts at a time. Okay. And I, st and I stipple it onto the side of the locomotive and it will take days, weeks to dry. I know. I understand uh, it. I use that stuff. Yeah. So, um, what I did was I created a little uh, easy bake oven um, because of the debacle of me putting my um, $1,200 locomotive in the oven. Um, and thankfully I didn't put in the mechanism. I didn't put in my, I didn't put in the mechanism. I just put in the shell. I put the, uh, I put the, uh, my oven on warm and it wouldn't maintain a constant temperature low enough low enough it would it kept going to 150 and my thought was is you know you can put a you can put a model uh in in a car that's about 120 130 degrees inside and it's yeah. not going to melt it melt into a ball of goo it you know it should be okay so as long as you can keep the temperature around 120 it shouldn't be an issue to stick it in the oven well you can't keep it at 120 if the temperature goes to 150, like it did, then you then you might have some issues. And I did. Thankfully, it was uh, easily fixed, which I did. And um, so now I made the Easy Bake Oven, which is just I bought a six dollar. Um, I forget what it's called, but a six bar six dollar work lamp from um, Lowe's and an incandescent bulb and yeah. an old. Xerox box and I'm actually baking the thing right now. So I do a little bit and then I bake it and do a little bit more and I bake it some more. And so I just stick it in my temperatures. Um, yeah. 110 degrees in there. Okay. Now so, what are you going to do with the, uh, the bloody nose? It's going to stay that way. Believe it or not, the bloody nose if, in the uh, prototype photographs is very, very red. It didn't fade. Either that of the, or they've repainted it. <coughs> so the bloody, the bloody nose, the actual red is going to stay basically red. Um, the only thing that faded like that is the gray. This, the lark dark gray is the only thing on that locomotive that has faded that way. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the prototype photo that you posted. Yeah, you can see a little dirt. Yeah, it's lightened a little bit, but certainly it's, much it's, higher it's, quality red paint than, yeah. the, than the gray was. If you look around the SSW, you can see it's turned a little pink. So they've re they've touched it up. 
it it almost seems like this may be you know pie in the sky hope but where it where that that engine has been shopped has been at a cotton belt shop that's what it seems like and so the guys inside the shop have repainted it and i think the the attitude of up is if you know if it ain't if it ain't busted we ain't gonna repaint it okay so they haven't gone and repaint they haven't patched it they haven't done anything to the thing so and i am not gonna renumber my locomotive i'm not gonna renumber it to six to 47 mine's 48 yeah close enough for me i'm not gonna renumber it um because that that you know, creates a lot of its own issues. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that and I'm just going to leave it and say, you know, whatever, since, you know, I'm modeling a fictitious railroad anyway. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to get it close. I'm not going to get it exact. Okay. And it's not to say that the locomotive you're modeling didn't get, uh, a substandard quality, Paint application. Uh, I recall the oh yeah that came out. Then they had a the red went to pink on the nose. Uh, a lot of rust and stuff because they were painted. I think those that left the factory primered, if I recall correctly, and went to a third party painter. And somewhere along the line, the quality just wasn't there, and they just faded badly. So I mean. That could certainly be the case with your prototype. You know, it's just uh, something wrong with the paint. Who knows? But well, it looks I mean, good. Thank you. Yeah. The uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that cotton belt unit looks like that as of at least 2015. I think the latest pictures are either 2015 or 2016 that I've seen of that locomotive looking no like that. Yes. That prototype photo I sent, I think, is 2013. Uh, and I've seen 2015 or 16 photographs of it looking like that. They haven't repainted it yet. Uh, you know, considering the Union Pacific with their heritage of keeping their equipment uh, visually uh, first rate, the fact that they haven't repainted it is like an anomaly, you know, that it, yeah. that it was allowed to survive this long. Okay. I, thanks, with, the other the, the other thing that's interesting is they have I've seen several of the GP60s, and a bunch of the GP60s are actually in pretty decent shape, but patched. Um, yeah. I have photographs from 2015 of a speed lettering SP GP60 in really good shape, but patched with the uh, the herald on the nose and and G, uh, UP numbers. Same thing with one of the um, the Rio Grande GP60s. I mean, this paint job is immaculate, absolutely immaculately perfect, except for the UP herald on the nose and the and the UP number on the on the side of the cab. Other than that, it's it's perfect. I mean, the black is weathered really well. The orange is nice. I mean, it's not ratty like this thing is. This is nice because it's ratty. Um, okay. But the DNRGW, and I don't know whether whether they kept it just to have a heritage unit. I don't know, but um, certainly looks good. So, and that's as of 2015. 
from a um, from a um, UP engineer friend of mine, uh, Tom Gazier, uh, one of the locomotives he uses. He you know he says, "Oh, how about this one? This was today." <laughs> Sent me the picture. He's like, "Yeah, this this was in the yard today." Click. Big grief. I want one of those. What actually one of the things I would like to do is get um, either a, an SP unit or a DRGW unit and uh, just gut it <clears throat> and use it as a battery. Because okay. I'd like to do this thing as a, as a as a dead rail is what I'd like to do. Yeah. And um, be cool to have just MU the units and uh, actually have the MU cables be MU cables and um, and have and have the trailing unit be a battery. Ooh, excellent. <laughs> you know, solves the problem of having a, you know, okay, you just have to get the wheels to be Proto 48, but you don't have to power the thing, which would be huge if it's just a boxcar, you know, essentially. Well, and that's, yeah, it's a different application, but as, you know, Chris and I have embarked on these remotorings, and so there's a fixed cost with each Kato motor you you buy and I had even ordered uh, Athern truck gear sets and but they wouldn't work I was I wanted to put them in a in a proto e unit truck frame to improve the low speed operation and but they wouldn't fit just no way would they fit uh, the new trucks on the current E's have helical cut gears. They're not spur cut gears uh, like the old protos were. So they're very, very smooth. When I rebuilt these trucks on this uh, late run unit, I can even just make them coast across the desk the, because the friction is so reduced by these helical gears and everything uh you know you can't get that on the old uh proto six wheel the a1a trucks it won't do that uh, so i've got three more of these to do and i thought you know what especially on this railroad here where it's only a two and a half percent grade for part of it i'm thinking these basic kato motors can pull you know 10 to 12 weighted passenger cars easy. So going along with you're talking about making one a battery, I may just make it a sound dummy. Put a decoder, not go to the expense of remotoring the, uh, the no. third E, just take the trucks apart, get the gears out of the tower, yep. reduce that friction, and... Uh, go ahead and put a decoder in it because I want it to sound right, but let it be a sound dummy. Yep. Uh, if any of our listeners know where I can buy an MTH HO motor, let me know. I had a, uh, one of my PAs, you know, the MTH and HO, they draw a little bit more current than your typical Genesis Kato, ready to run proto motor, and so this one has fried two decoders. 
Not the decoder hmm. per se, a hundred percent, but the transistors, I guess, that control the motor. And ESU was kind enough on the first one to replace it under warranty, and on the second one, uh, Matt gets a hold of me and he goes, "Hey, you got a problem with the motor?" He said, "This isn't a warranty issue." So that locomotive became a sound dummy. I would like, if I can't find an MTH HO scale replacement motor and there's no indication or links on their website, I may remotor it with a Kato and then put a new decoder in it so that it powers. But again, it's so powerful. You know, I've got an ABBA. I don't need all of those power just to pull, you know, 10 cars. You know, even right. properly yeah. weighted passenger cars. I don't need that. But by keeping them all powered, now I've got an AB set. I've got two of them, so I'd really like to get them powered. Uh, yeah, I like I like that. What would you guys suggest? So I've got this late model Proto E7, the one that's got the new simplified frame got the uh, helical gears it actually came with a quantum uh, decoder in it which is I've already replaced that with a Tsunami 2 had to strip the paint off it was uh, Milwaukee I wanted it to be bloody nose and so I bought scale coat you know plastic paint stripper took three applications to get all this paint off I the paint was so thick. Once I got it off, I went, "Wow, there's a lot of detail here." <laughs> it was just covered up in paint. So anyway, down the side, this E7 is just beautiful. The rooftop is gorgeous, and down the side, uh, there are one, two, three, four, four etched brass screens on the outside, which you can go in there bend the tabs and remove it and beneath it molded are the frame structural members because the bodies on the early E's were all structural mm-hmm. it's not like the modern or the at the time SDP40Fs which was just a body the frame was the the structure i thought about taking my Dremel and putting a real small rotary cutter on it and roughing out these openings and then doing a lot of file work on it so that when I get it done painted and put these etched brass uh, screen covers on it, you know, for the air intakes and stuff down the side, you'll actually be able to see the shadow of the detail beneath it that they've molded in. It's excellent. I just need to cut out the uh, the fill-in. What do you think? If I run a Dremel slow enough so that we don't have heat issues and then finish it up with a file, I mean, it's going to be time-consuming, but do you think that'll work? I think that'll work. Yeah, the... Um, 
But, I don't you know, know really of an easier way to do it. As the uh, as the old uh, operation commercial goes, it takes a very steady hand. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the I've got a Dremel four thousand, and I bought the uh, flex shaft, so I can hang that on the workbench, and then all I've got in my hand is the flex shaft. So it's a lot easier to control. And, you know, the speed control's right up above. Because this thing will go to 35,000 RPM, which is good for cutting the, the frames down. But, yeah, four or 5,000 for plastic. So, okay, well, I may try that. Go in there and slowly cut this out and then file it out so that when you look through, you actually see, as you would on the real ones, you know, glimpses of uh, light in there. I mean, it's too cold to do anything outside, so <laughs> finding ways to s- occupy myself on the inside. Mm-hmm. Welcome okay. back to Champagne, huh, Paul? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, except for, you know, painting the gray on this is easy. And I remember the last time I did a bloody nose, there's just a lot of masking around the nose and down the front on the areas not covered by the microscale decals. A lot of masking to get that. Uh, so I was able to go in and shoot the, the nose yesterday. And oh, okay. now it's dried. But I'm going, you know, I'm probably going to have to do some touch-up once I get these decals on, especially around the number boards. Because there's gray, areas of gray there. Uh, A gray area? Yeah, around the real close to the number boards and stuff, and the red goes above and below it. I caught it even if he didn't. (laughs) What? (laughs) I caught it even if he didn't. If Paul didn't. A real gray, it's a real gray area. Real gray area, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So, oh, yeah, if you're interested, um, uh, Chris, I posted on the um, Model Railroad Hobbyist uh, website, I just on I mean, um, Facebook page, I just posted um, pictures of the SP Hopper uh, gondola that I've got. Oh, okay. Oh, the Lionel. Oh, the Lionel the one, yep. <clears throat> That's the easiest way since, you know, I'm, I'm on Skype through my phone. It's kind of hard for me to post anything and that way everybody else can see it so well good all right i'll check that out just a second yeah yeah, yeah there it is i see it good looking car it is um, it's a big know. daggone car <laughs> oh yeah yeah I mean, <laughs> when it's when it's making a 4750 covered hopper look small yeah is that a 65 footer yep. yeah there you go i've got two of those in ho they Nowhere near that imposing. <laughs> no, um, the I really wanted more than this, but this is um, uh, the only. He only had one. There was only one SP at the entire show. They had CSX and they had uh, they had CSX and they had NS all over the place. But this was and BNSF. What are you going to put this, in it for a load? I have no idea. Okay. No idea. Just curious uh, question. You know, no, I haven't. 
I haven't really determined that. That might be an interesting thing to have a scrap dealer um, it down the, you know, down the um, where I'm using this this pile trestle. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is, you know, you know, come off the layout on one end of it, and then have a scrap dealer down the end. But to get to it, you have to go across this pile trestle. Um, might be an idea. Okay. To do to do. But, yeah, I think I put mine actually. I think they're Walthers, or I'm sorry, I think they're Atherns. The mm-hmm. ends actually drop. They're drop end. Okay. Yep. So I which is interesting. Down and, and, which is uh, interesting that these are not drop ends and they're Lionel. You'd think they, you'd think they yeah. would be drop end gondolas, but they're not. Well, you could. Make I don't them want drop them in. to be. I don't oh. want them. Okay. Well, I put pipe loads in mine, which gave me an excuse to put an right. idler flat on either side because yeah. I made the pipe overhang them. Yeah. Just for the I, interesting visual. I did buy, uh, there's a gentleman that sells loads, does a really nice job. I bought a, uh, a, um, a, a I-beam load. Okay. Which, which would, which would be fine in this thing. Um, I was thinking more scrap or something like that, but, um, pipe would be a good option to pipe, um, anything really. But, um. Yeah, there's a guy there that sells low. He sells pipe loads, but the only thing he has in O scale is the I beam loads. Okay. Last last year he had plate steel loads, and I bought one of those last year. Oh, speaking of loads, one of the forums a guy posted a picture. Uh, you know, he must be like Chris and I remotoring things, and he had taken it looked like a a Walther's or an old life like proto motor with flywheels on it. It made it a load. Black or gray and put wood blocking and stuff in there and set it on a flat car as a load. And I went, it looked really cool. (laughs) I thought that's a great idea. I've got three or four motors from all these remotors. I could do that too. I would say, I, you know, because a lot of those motors, unless they're seized, they 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 still okay. But Atherin motors, yeah, throw them things away. No offense, but the old open, no, the oh, open the frame open ones, frame. yeah, the blue box motors, yeah, that those are those would be yeah, cool. Yeah, or paint them up and make them into like an electrical generator load or whatever you want to right. call it. It looked really good. I mean, whoever this guy was did a good job. I complimented him on the thread post. So that's one thing I don't do is I don't pay attention to the MRH hobby, um, the MRH forums much. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I try to pay attention to the, um, Facebook page, but not the forums so much. The, uh, under general discussion, the weekend, uh, photo fund is always, there's always interesting and really well-produced photos in there of people's models. So, it's uh, it's entertaining. Yeah, just so. like um, Chris's ex- uh, appearances on uh, on Ken Patterson's yes. video podcasts are entertaining. On the podcast, yes. <laughs> yep. 
Because after all yeah. these years, everybody knows it's your dogs mm -hmm. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. That's Titus. Yeah. Right? All right. Well, it's been a good session. I appreciate your all's time. No problem. Yeah. Really well, uh, next time, Paul, uh, we can chat a little bit more about the the ongoing saga of, of the gears. Um, I really haven't yes. made any progress on that. So. <laughs> Appreciate thanks, a good, uh, good day tomorrow to show. All right. Thanks, guys. Good chatting with you.